Ephesians 3, verse 13 is where we'll start tonight. We'll go to the end of the chapter. Uh, it says this, Ephesians 3, 13, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, might be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be fulfilled with all fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, yeah. according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the, your word tonight. I'm glad that it's pure and preserved. We still have it today. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us tonight. Teach us, Lord, from your word. Lord, help draw us closer to you. Lord, as we study this, Lord, uh, help take away the distractions. Lord, uh, fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for what your word does. It's powerful and it'll never return void. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And amen. Amen, amen. So if you think about uh, the city of Ephesus, if you've ever uh, studied it before, uh, really it was a miracle that there was even a church there in the first place. Uh, it, this city was home to the temple of, uh, if you're Roman, you called it Diana. If you're Greek, you called it Artemis, but the same false idol, uh, uh, this huge building. It was the largest one in the ancient world that they had built, this temple to Diana. Uh, and they had to rebuild it two different times. Uh, and the third version, which would have been still around at this time, was 450 feet long, 220 feet wide, and 60 feet high. Had 127 columns, and it kind of looked like some of the stuff you would see in Washington, D.C. I mean, just a massive, ornate building with columns and everything else. And at the very center of it, they had that, uh, that idol of Diana, that statue uh, in the middle. So that around this huge temple, people would come from all over to worship this this false god, uh, and uh, she she was the god of fertility, among other things. Uh, but so, and because of that, whenever you would have a, a a goddess of fertility, you know, around the temple, there would be nonsense going on around it, uh, immorality, sexual immorality, and everything else, and all of that flourished right around the temple. And if that wasn't bad enough, uh, even uh, th this city was also, you know, it was a trade center from the east to the west, you know, and had a port uh, and everything else. But they also had a lot of witchcraft and, and black arts and the occult and everything else, astrology, you name it, uh, was also huge in the city as well. So, I mean, uh, Satan had a stronghold there. And, and, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I heard this a while back, but 1 Corinthians 10.20 says, Paul also wrote this, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would that ye should have 
you, uh, and I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. What he's explaining right there is any time someone sacrifices to an idol or a temple or a, a Buddha or you name it, anything other than God, they're really sacrificing to the devil. That's what they're saying. Even though it's a lifeless uh, statue created by men with eyes that can't see, ears that can't hear, lips that can't talk, uh, uh, God is saying when, when you worship something like that, you're worshiping the devil. So you think about this is the largest temple uh, uh, on the world at that point, one of the seven wonders of the world, uh, a magnificent thing. People would come to it, and, and it's all devil worship is what in it, between that idol and everything around it. And you would think if there if there's anywhere you know where the devil had a stronghold, it would be Ephesus. It, it would be this wicked city, and right in the shadow of that magnificent temple, God says, well, "I'm going to have a church built right here." And you would think. Uh, of all places, it wouldn't work. It would be in Ephesus. But aren't you glad that our God is greater, right? Our God, he can put it anywhere. Uh, he can place a thriving, and this was a thriving church right in the middle of all that wickedness and perversion. And, and if he could do it then, he can do it today. I believe that, don't you? I believe this world is not getting better by the day. It's getting more wicked. But here's the thing. God, this world has seen wickedness before. And guess what? Uh, God has seen wickedness before and he can still uh, put his people in the middle of it and it still be clean and still get the gospel out and I'm thankful for that so here we've got this place uh, and one of the things is they were constantly facing persecution and we know that not just from uh, the book of Ephesians we know that from uh, Revelation chapter 2 where there's the letter to the Ephesian church uh, and then uh, also you know if you look at every time Ephesus is mentioned there's persecution and wickedness going on in the city. And you go, uh, it was really established in Paul's third missionary journey. Uh, he goes there, and it's Acts chapter 19. He has been there for almost three years, and then all of a sudden an uproar starts. Demetrius the silversmith is aggravated uh, that people are getting saved and uh, starts an uproar and they start chanting about Diana and everything else and and uh, the townspeople try to quiet them but they, they grab some of the Christians uh, in and they were probably going to beat him or kill him and Paul wanted to go in there and save them but they kept Paul from that and Paul eventually he had to leave because of all of this uh, happening so there was an uproar uh, uh, and the whole reason is uh, is the church and the gospel and what was happening in that town was bad for business, right? It was hurting the idol makers. That's what Demetrius was. He was the silversmith that made idols of Diana. So people, you know, almost like the uh, like a tourist thing. They would come and they'd buy their idol and they, you know, make their pilgrimage. They'd worship the false uh, God, to do the immorality and go back home and have their idol to take home. And he made a lot of money and so did his, his friends in the same business. But hey, when people started getting saved, they started burning their books. That's what uh, Acts 19 also talks about. They had a huge bonfire of all their books of their curious arts and everything else and went up in flames. Hey, there was a big change happening in the city and the devil didn't like it. And that's what ran him out. But you think about, there was persecution going on and Paul was no stranger to that. He was no stranger to persecution. 2 Corinthians 11, he, that's where he goes through the list where he was beaten, imprisoned, he was shipwrecked, he was cold, he was naked, uh, all because he turned to Jesus Christ. 
And you think about that. Uh, Paul, at the, when he was headed to the road to Damascus, he was a rising star in the Jews. He would have went places. I believe he'd have been part of yeah. the Sanhedrin. Uh, he would have been as high as he could have gotten uh, uh, in that. And he would have been wealthy. He would have been powerful and everything else. But he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and it changed everything. He had the letters in hand. He was going to persecute more Christians. And he met Jesus Christ who he thought uh, he, he thought he was helping God. But then he met God and it turned him around. But you know what I was thinking? There's probably those in Ephesus that had to walk away from jobs, had to walk away from businesses, had to walk away from false worship that were ingrained in that Diana worship too. That temple had been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. So there would have been generations uh, of parents and grandparents teaching children and grandchildren. Just like we talk about teaching the next generation about Jesus Christ. They would have taught the next generation about how to worship Diana. They would have. That would have been ingrained, the feasts and everything else to her, uh, the celebrations. And to think those people would have walked away from that, they would have endured persecution. And they would have endured hardship. They would have lost uh, uh, roles in the city just like Paul did. And you look at verse 13. Wherefore, this is Paul talking to the church at Ephesus. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And he's saying, hey, uh, I know what persecution feels like. I know that you guys are going through persecution. And I don't want you to faint. I don't want you to quit because of that, right? You've had to give up things. Uh, maybe you've got family members that don't want to talk to you anymore uh, because you've turned to Jesus Christ and from that false worship, you've done all these things. Uh, and he's saying, I don't want you to quit. I don't want you to go back to that old life. Uh, I don't want you. I want you to keep serving Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. So this is what he does. Paul's desire is that they wouldn't faint and they wouldn't quit. So what's he do? Look at verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts praying for them. And he writes down that prayer and sends it to them. And isn't that encouraging when you think about whenever you hear someone that you know is a genuine Christian uh, that really loves the Lord that says, I am praying for you. I don't know about you, but that strengthens me. That helps me to go on. He says, hey, I am praying yeah. for you. Uh, and, and, and I'm glad that we can boldly come to the throne of grace. Aren't you? Aren't you glad? that we are, because we are God's children, because we're saved by Jesus Christ, we can still, we can come to God, but one thing we got to remember, he's still the all-powerful creator of this universe, and Paul said, hey, when I come to him, I still bow my knee uh, in reverence, and holy reverence to him, and, and sometimes we need that reminder that, yes, he talks to us as a friend, but he's also God. Yeah, he is. So he starts praying to Jesus Christ in verse 15. What's he say? The first part of the prayer of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And I don't know if you've realized this, but I believe the devil loves to isolate, doesn't he? He loves to get us separated, get us by ourselves. He loved to get Elijah in a cave all by himself because he was afraid of Jezebel. He wasn't afraid of all the false worshipers of Baal. He wasn't afraid of Ahab, but he was afraid of yeah, Jezebel, was. wasn't he? Yeah, he gets all by himself in a cave. He's depressed and everything else, and he's about to quit. And aren't you glad that still small voice comes uh, and says, you don't belong here, Elijah. But that's what the devil wants. He wants to get us in deep depression. 
But Paul's reminding them in the prayer right off the bat is saying, hey, uh, this is not an individual thing. There is a whole family of God saved by Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. There's a whole family together. And isn't it refreshing when we can come together? You know, we could have a hard day at work. We could have problems and everything else, but we can come into the house of refuge. Yeah. Can't we? Yeah. Uh, it is it is, a, it is a place of refuge. Yeah. Uh, it is a place where uh, a peace that we can come and be refreshed. How are we refreshed? We can stir up one another on love and good works. Uh, we can uplift one another, help each other, pray, teach and disciple one another. And I'll tell you what. The one, one of the ways they were able to endure persecution in such a hostile city full of temptation and spiritual wickedness is number one, Paul's reminding them you are not alone. And I'm here to tell you we could use the same reminder today sometime. I know it doesn't look like a whole bunch tonight, but there is a huge family of God and there is a, uh, he's got people saved all over this world. And I'm glad that we can pray for one another, encourage one another. There are Christians that we've prayed for, we've never even met uh, but our prayers have allowed God uh, to use that he has taken it and he has uh, he has done things with it and I'm thankful for that but not only not only are we not alone look at verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man and I was thinking about earlier today we we mentioned it before that Nemo is down in in Naples, Florida, and it's right above where the middle of the hurricane was hitting. Uh, Naples is right below it, I'm sorry, uh, uh, but not a whole lot of miles of uh, apart. I mean, they were getting hit uh, with the storm, and I, so I'm there, uh, you know, of course, you know what you do now uh, is you've got the computer here, uh, you, you know, I've got the live feed going, telling me about everything going on, I've got the maps and everything else, uh, figuring out uh, how high, I was telling mom how high of sea level they, I mean, the technology is ridiculous, you can get on a map and it uh, find right where their house was. I could click right in their front yard and it said it's 17 feet above below sea level. Click right at the front corner of the house and it's 20 feet above sea level. Then I'm doing the math over here trying to figure out if that's high enough. I mean, you know, you think about this and it, I know I'm not the only one that does things like this, but, uh, but I tell you what, uh, after hours of this and then worrying about it and praying about it, and then she sends a text and says there's four inches of water inside the house, and you know the storm's not done, and you're like, my goodness. So then I think about this, uh, after we're, after, you know, most of the storm has passed, the worst part, uh, at least, and then, you know, we can be relieved a little bit and kind of exhale. I, I was telling Brooke uh, tonight at dinner, I said, my brain is fried. I, I could not hardly concentrate at work. How am I supposed to come in here and preach? How are we supposed to do anything? Right? I said there. I mean, it is fried. I've been worried all day and everything. Uh, yes, I've been praying, but also worried. I'll, I'll be honest with you. How am I going to concentrate? Because I had no, uh, nothing within me. Nothing within me to do something like this. But aren't you glad that at those periods where we get weary and faint and stressed out and everything else, we can turn to the Lord and say, yeah. Lord, you called me to do this. Lord, it's Wednesday night and, and you know what I need to do and I need your strength. And guess what? He's got it, right? What's it say right there? That he would grant you according to his riches and glory to be what? To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. I'll tell you what, I needed strength from above and I got it tonight. Praise God. That's what happens. Where's that strength come from? It comes from the riches of his glory. 
Right? All resources he has. What's he doing? He can bring all of that to give us strength. And I'm thankful for that. He has an endless supply of grace. Jesus does for his children to continue. And not only that, what's it say? The Holy Spirit brings power or might. And that means power to the weary. And I'm thankful for that. So we're, uh, how do we endure persecution? How do we not quit? How do we not faint in a wicked city? We pray. Uh, we realize we're not alone. Uh, we realize we can't do this on our own strength that we don't need to when we got the strength of the Lord. But look at verse 17. It's getting better and better. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. And hey, there's a spiritual battle going on, isn't there? Uh, all the time. It is, it is a battle each and every day. You know what one of the battles is? For control over our hearts. Oh, yeah, we've given our heart to Jesus Christ, but that doesn't always mean we put Jesus on the throne of our heart. That doesn't always mean he controls our heart. Sometimes our heart is led in other directions, and we can either trust Jesus by faith, right? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God, and uh, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's either faith, or if it's not faith, it's fear or the flesh. And that's the battle right there, right? What did I tell you earlier today? I was having a big old battle with fear versus faith, right? I, I knew I trusted God, right? On one hand, I'm texting Aaron. You know, you get real spiritual with your with your brothers in Christ that are, you know, preachers. You get real spiritual and you say, oh, you know, I've seen God take care of these things before. The same God that uh, he can either calm the storm or he can walk right through the storm. Yeah, you get real spiritual. Then why was I so worried? Yeah. Right? Amen. Right? Why are we so worried if we believe those things? But aren't you glad that it says Christ may dwell? If we would just uh, cling on to that little bit of faith, he will dwell inside there and push away the fear, push away the flesh uh, for the time being. Uh, and the, he says, hey, Paul's reminding us, the more faith that we exercise, the more we trust, the closer we are to Jesus Christ. Yeah. He gets right there deep into the heart. And we let him dwell there, abide there in the rightful place, which is our heart but in the midst of spiritual battles in the midst of persecution he says we need to be rooted and grounded in love now later on apostle john from the isle of patmos is going to write letters to the churches first one he writes is ephesus revelation chapter 2 and he commends their uh, works, their patience, their steadfastness to the truth. And he even commends them for not fainting. But then Revelation 2, 4, he says this. And this is, this is in red. This is Jesus saying it. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Yeah, yeah. That's what had happened. And, you know, sometimes we're thinking, well, is it, is it that bad? Yeah, it is. Do you realize what he says after that? I didn't put the verse in here, but what he says right after that is, I believe he says, I, I'll take away your candlestick if you don't repent. Uh, let's look at it. Uh, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. He's saying, hey, you've left your first love, and you need to get back to it. He said, or I'll shut the whole thing down. Oh, you could still have a church. Right? You can have a name on the door. You can be like Laodicea and be lukewarm, but that power won't be there. Right? He says you get it back to being rooted and grounded in love. And I'll tell you what, we can do that. And here's the thing. Here's the temptation to forget 
That we're worshiping Jesus Christ out of love, right? Because we love him. There's a temptation to forget uh, that we're serving Jesus Christ because we love him. Right? We we could forget that or continue in faith because we love the Lord. Hey, this isn't a job that we have. We're not clocking in and clocking out. This is the highest calling in the world, right? We are serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The fact that he would even allow us to do something like that is amazing. It's a miracle. He loves us, but he wants us to be rooted and grounded in love. He said he would remove the candlestick. I I believe it's still true today. You try to do this stuff without love, it's not going to work. Right? Have you ever have you ever been to a church where they're they're doing things, but you just don't feel a lot of love there? That doesn't draw people. No. What do the lost want? They don't know it, but they need love, yeah. genuine love, with the truth, and that's what changes lives. And he says, "Hey, you got to be rooted and grounded." Let's keep going. Eighteen may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. We measure everything, don't we? Right? We we got all kinds of tools to measure stuff, real precise. Like I was telling you earlier, uh, how I was able to measure a place I've never even been before. But he's saying, hey, even if you can get the greatest tools to measure with, uh, I want you to be able to comprehend that there's something that can't be measured. That's what he's trying to say. If you would just realize how big it really is, how long, how deep, how tall uh, it really is. What's he talking about? Verse 19, to know the love of Christ. What he's saying right there is, hey, uh, you want to know something that can't be measured uh, said that I want you to try to work on comprehending it is how much Jesus Christ loves us who the church that's what he's saying he just said you need to be rooted and grounded in love and he says you know what that love comes from Jesus Christ that immeasurable love uh, that I tell you what there's no greater display of love this world has ever seen than when God sent his only begotten son Jesus Christ to this earth to be a substitute for us we were the guilty but the innocent died for the guilty on the cross that day and I say praise God listen he, uh, he took our place he said he was a substitute uh, you know there's so many examples of that so many metaphors in the Bible it's amazing but here's the thing if, if we're saved today we don't need to guess whether God loves us right we don't need to uh, uh, wonder if he loves me today what's it say in verse 19 look at it again and to what To know the love of Christ. You know what that means? That means it's up here too. To know it. You know there are some days. People you'll hear it said. And you may have felt this before. I don't feel saved. Have you ever heard that? Things are going wrong. The storm's happening. Persecution. I don't feel saved. You know what Paul's saying? Even if it doesn't feel good, you can know you're saved, right? That's what he said. You can know that you're saved. Why? Because the Bible tells us we're saved, right? If we trust in Jesus Christ, we know that we're saved. Even when things don't feel good. Even when the storm comes. Even when the prayers aren't getting answered right away. Even when all these things, we can know that. And I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not tied to emotions because I don't always feel right. My emotions don't always match the truth, but I'm glad the truth can get my emotions back in the right train, in the right place. He loves us no matter what's going on around us. 
How do we keep going in the midst of a spiritual battle? How do we keep from fainting? Uh, we do that by prayer. We do that by remembering we're not alone. We do that by reminding ourselves it's not in our own strength. Uh, we, we do that by faith. Uh, we, know, we do that by realizing that his love is beyond measure. And it's something that we know and it's the truth. And then finally this. Let's look at verse 20. Now unto him. That is able to do exceeding abundantly above yeah. all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. This is one of probably the most popular verses when you think about prayer is this promise. He says to do it exceedingly abundantly. And if you think about those words, exceedingly, uh, an easier word is beyond, right? And abundantly means beyond. So what's he saying? Uh, he is able to do beyond, beyond. That's what he's saying. Exceeding abundantly above even more that all we ask or think. I'm here to tell you, even our best plans, even if we could come together, all of us, and just get the right plan and the smartest people and everything else, he says, listen, I can bring something exceeding abundant beyond that. Isn't that wonderful to think about? I tell you what, if it was just limited to what I ask, if it was limited to my idea, uh, a lot of things wouldn't turn out that great. And aren't you glad he can take and go well beyond? Yeah. Yeah. He's a beyond God. He always has been. He's a, you know why? Because he's a miracle working God, right? He's a God uh, that goes beyond everything. And I'm thankful for that. And that's the one that he saved us. He's willing to use us. And not only that, according to the power that worketh within us. He puts that power inside that works to accomplish all the plans that he has. See, that's the thing. If, if he's getting, if he's asking us to do things that are beyond ourselves, he has to give us power that's beyond ourselves. And he says he does. But here's the thing. When we feel like fainting, when we feel like giving in, we need to realize that God exceeds expectations. He has in the past, and he'll continue to do that. He's yeah. waiting to hear from his children, and he's got power ready to fuel those that are weak and faint. And then we get to the last verse. Here's the close of the prayer right here. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. You know what he's saying, I believe, right here? He's summing it up like this. Every day that you and I... Uh, don't quit every day that we don't faint, every day that we're able to walk by faith, every time a prayer is answered, every day that we stay rooted and grounded in love, every time we get close to comprehending that love that can't be measured of Jesus Christ, all of those things should point us in the same direction that we should stop and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for answering prayers. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for keeping me and not letting me quit when I want to quit. Thank you for allowing me to keep going and give Giving me strength beyond ourselves. Why? Where do we get that from? He says, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. It is uh, the church will make it through every trial, every bit of persecution uh, and keep going. That's what he says uh, uh, throughout all ages. Why? Because it's not the church running the church. It's Jesus running the church. Yeah. It's his power. It's his might. And it's his intercession that allows us to continue. Even with this world is over. We're saying, now wait a second, Mike, he says world without end, because he's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth, right? John's already seen it. I believe it, don't you? Praise God. I tell you what, wouldn't it be great to get a letter 
when the Apostle Paul, after he had been with them for years and had gone away, and then see what Paul has been praying about and think, my goodness, if Paul's praying for me, I can go on. Now, Apostle Paul's gone, and we're not asking him to pray for us today, but I'll tell you what, each one of us praying for each other is just as good. Right? Just as powerful. We pray for one another, it makes it even harder to quit. And even in the middle of the wicked city of Ephesus, and with the temple of Diana, Artemis, whatever you call it, up on the hill, Beautiful, huge, magnificent, and all the false worship and all the idol makers and everything else that supported that. Uh, in spite of all that, God said, I'll build a church right there. And not only will I build a church, they'll flourish. Yeah. And they'll change hearts. And they'll make people want something totally different to where they'll throw their books of that junk in a, in a pile and burn it up, even when it's worth a ton of money. Because that's the power of God. Guess what? We're not in Ephesus today. But I don't know about you. I can feel the spiritual wickedness all around. Yeah. Right? We don't have a, a great temple to Artemis, but we've got temples to other idols all around us. Right? Guess what? God can have a church right in the shadow of it. Flourishing. Why? Because the gates of hell can't prevail against Jesus Christ. And he's the one that's within us. And that's why we can't faint tonight. All right, we're going to open up the altar. If you need to pray, pray at your seat or you can come up. Pray at one of these chairs over here, whatever you want to do.